Happy Monday and thank you for joining me today. If you were alive and sentient in the year 2002 or you're just into pop music, um, then you may know this song by American rapper Nelly. Yes, that was just indeed um, the instrumental version of the 2002 hit Hot in Here. Um, in this song, the most famous and recognizable lyrics are, quote, it's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. Well, last week at the COP26 Climate Summit in Glasgow, Scotland, um, a climate protester changed it up a bit, saying, quote, it's getting hot in here, so take off all your coal. Um, a clever pop culture reference and a way to spread awareness about the climate crisis, because although they love Nelly, they also care very, very much about the planet. And as that protester, as that protester said in their poster, we really do need to take off all of our coal because it's literally getting so hot in here that our planet may die. For years, oil and gas and also coal industries have banked in billions of dollars on feeding the public detrimental lies that, yes, this is the way to go. Fossil fuels. You can't get rid of us. Oh, really? What's the benefit? Because things do really seem to be getting worse. If you recall, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill happened back in 2010. That devastation killed 11 workers um, aboard and aboard that ship when the explosion happened and 134 million gallons of oil spewed into the ocean. Yes, you heard me right. 134 million gallons of oil. That spill lasted for 87 days after that giant oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, it continued from there. It made its way to the beaches of Louisiana in the state of Florida, killing hundreds of thousands of marine animals and bringing multiple states' tourist economies um, into financial crisis. Um, after that major environmental disaster, there was just major public outrage about what happened there, and accountability was certainly demanded. About a month after the oil spill, executives from BP, which is British Petroleum and other companies, um, they testified to Congress on the matter. If each of you would stand. The president of BP America may have taken responsibility today. We will carry out our responsibilities. But he wasn't about to take all the blame. BP, as a leaseholder and the operator of the well, hired Transocean to drill that well. That didn't sit well with the head of Transocean, who was seated just next to him. He signaled that the massive explosion may have stemmed from a mistake made by a subcontractor, Halliburton. These events occurred after the well construction process was essentially complete. The Halliburton executives sitting next to him pointed the finger back at BP. Halliburton as a service provider to the well owner is contractually bound to comply with the well owner's instructions. All three companies worked together on the doomed Deepwater Horizon. Oil giant BP hired Halliburton to seal the undersea well with cement in preparation for drilling leasing the rig above it from Transocean, the world's largest offshore drilling company. I hear one message, and the message is, don't blame me. With some damage estimates now exceeding 10 billion, BP's head promised lawmakers he would pay all, quote, legitimate claims. That was reporting from CBS News in 2010 as executives from these oil companies were literally playing the blame game in Congress as they were testifying on to exactly why this transpired in the first place. Uh, that same month, a Louisiana congressman had to leave a congressional hearing in tears because of the insurmountable damage done to the U.S. wetlands. 
Four years later, U.S. District uh, Judge Carly Barber in New Orleans just excoriated BP, Transocean, and Halliburton, uh, who was the cement contractor. Quote, BP's conduct re- was reckless. Transocean's conduct was negligent. Halliburton's conduct was negligent as well. In 2016, a former BP supervisor who pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge in 2010 was sentenced to 10 months of probation. Federal prosecutors brought manslaughter charges against two BP employees, but they were dropped. According to businesshumanrights.org, quote, in 2010, hundreds of lawsuits were filed against companies involved in the explosion of the offshore drig, uh, drilling wig Deepwater Horizon, which killed 11 workers and injured 17. Plaintiffs have a range of concerns from requesting compensation um, for their injuries to economic harm resulting from the explosion. Several U.S. government criminal investigations have been launched as well. BP agreed to pay $4.5 billion to the United States Department of Justice and Security and Exchange Commission. BP will also plead guilty to 14 criminal charges and will pay an additional $1.26 billion fine to the U.S. Department of Justice. End quote. Altogether, that was $20.8 billion a $20.8 billion settlement, according to DOJ. And there was accountability, but it wasn't on a large scale to the point where other fossil fuel entities may get to the point where they'd be like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't do this, or maybe we should be more careful or prevent something like this from ever happening at all. And so, yes, in 2010, since 2010, we've seen more of these disasters. Just this summer, the ocean caught on fire due to, oil, due to an oil spill, excuse me. And recently in California, there was just another one. The pipeline spilled at least 131 gallons of oil into the Pacific Ocean, which caused the shutdown of Huntington Beach in California. Mayor Kim Carr of uh, Huntington Beach said in a press conference uh, that this is one of the most devastating situations our community has dealt with in decades, also vowing accountability for the responsible parties, calling on them to, quote, rectify this environmental catastrophe, adding that she will, quote, make sure that they are held responsible, held accountable for this. Mayor Carr is not alone in the road to accountability here. The Attorney General of California, Rob uh, Bonta, launched an investigation into the oil spill. The U.S. Coast Guard is also looking into this as a criminal probe uh, has begun by the Orange County DA's office. District Attorney Todd Spitzer, um, said during a radio interview, quote, every single pipeline in that region needs to be inspected. All the companies need to use their underwater video cameras and they need to certify under penalty of perjury that they don't have any damage to their pipelines. End quote. Essentially saying out there that, hey, you might want to check your pipelines to avoid another major major catastrophe that could cause another environmental oil spill which would just be absolutely catastrophic given what we just went through. Huntington Beach has since reopened, but residents have been told to remain vigilant. Reportedly, people um, who live along the coast already reporting strong odors and oil on the beach as well. According to Jason Newberger, chief of the Office of Investigations and Analysis for the U.S. Coast Guard, uh, this pipeline was completely intact last October of 2020 before it was diverted 105 feet, leading to a damage and then a crack. According to USA Today, California has lost more than 91% of its historic wetlands, and some of these surviving 9% live in Huntington Beach, also known as Surf City, USA. 
the Oiled Wildlife Care Network, a statewide agency that cares for wildlife after impacts from oil, says that 47 of 77 oiled uh, birds recovered from the area have died, along with 11 oiled fish. Talbert Marsh, a 25-acre uh, ecological reserve across from Huntington Beach, is home to many birds and officials said, quote, the impact to the environment is irreversible. It was just five years after the Deepwater Horizon disaster, that major oil spill, uh, the wildlife in Louisiana was still suffering. Birds reportedly covered in oil gasping for air, and it was just completely devastating. The cleanup of that oil spill from 2010 was still happening in 2015. Now here we are in 2021 after this massive oil spill in California that is going to take years it is going to take years to fix this, to resolve this issue. An environmental disaster, an ecological disaster on our hands caused by the fossil fuel industry, caused by oil and gas, which is still largely operating here in the United States and abroad. According to researchers, it only takes a small amount of exposure for seabirds to die. Last year, in a report on the effects of the Refugio Beach oil spill, which happened in 2015 after a pipeline burst and dumped more than 100,000 gallons of oil near Santa Barbara, California, researchers found, quote, like a hole in a, a wetsuit, the oil destroys the feather's ability to insulate the bird, thus allowing code ocean water to spread against the bird's skin. Birds that contact oil typically die of hypothermia and starvation. End quote. We will keep you updated on that story um, as the quest for accountability continues. The chief executive of Delta Airlines, Ed Bastin, uh, told BBC News recently that tackling climate change uh, will make flying more expensive, but it's the right approach we must take. He also said that his airline can't just do this alone. This has to be a coordinated fight to save the planet, a coordinated aviation fight. According to the International um, Energy Agency, aviation is responsible for approximately 2.5% of the carbon emissions that are causing our beloved planet to warm. Last month, a new report published in the journal Nature Climate Change estimated that 85% of the world's population is affected by climate change. They came to that conclusion by compiling 60,000 studies already published on this. This past weekend, the climate summit in Glasgow, Scotland, concluded disappointment um, was large after a major coal reversal in the original plan. Some of the biggest oil and gas, some of the biggest oil, and gas, and coal producers, um, differently, they certainly did feel the heat at the COP26 summit, um, as the Financial Times described it. Saudi Arabia, Russia, and Australia were particularly in the hot seats, uh, but they privately pushed back. According to Yahoo News, climate justice activists in developing nations expressed frustration with the U.S. and the European Union for blocking the creation of a fund to distribute reparations for the loss and damage in developing countries from climate change, which, by the way, is essential. Is essential. If we want to stop the climate crisis, we have to invest and help every other nation. The wealthy nations can't just fight this together. Can't just fight it by themselves. It has to be done together. 
I mean, I mean, for instance, nations such as Bangladesh and other nations such as Haiti. I mean, this ha really does have to be a coordinated effort. It's almost like the coronavirus pandemic. We can stop the coronavirus pandemic in the wealthy nations, but for the nations who are impoverished and who are not and who do not have the financial resources to create a national coordinated strategy to stop it, I mean, it's not really going to be successful there. And if you can't stop the pandemic everywhere, if you can't stop the pandemic in one place, it's going to continue to spread. If you can't stop the climate crisis in one country or five countries or 10 countries, we are still going to have it internationally. We're still going to have it worldwide. Pledges such as ending deforestation, cutting greenhouse gases, and more will only be successful if they actually happen. We're going to have more reporting on the climate crisis in an upcoming TGAPS special report. But when it comes to impoverished nations, there really is going to need to be more assistance. For instance, in the nation of Tuvalu, a beautiful South Pacific sandbank with nine low-lying um, islands whose highest elevation is roughly 15 feet. Due to sea level rising each year, and also cyclones and other major environmental disasters, that elevation continues to shrink. Very soon it will have shrunk to the point where you can no longer see Tulavu. This nation only has a little over 11,000 people as its population. Whatever you are doing right now, um, just take a moment and focus and really listen to what I'm about to play for you here. Um, this is the minister of Tuvalu, uh, Steve Panui, uh, making an emotional uh, climate plea while showing pictures of his grandchildren. And in the speech, he really does allude to all the members at the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow, Scotland, essentially urging them that, yes, action is necessary. Action is needed. And it's just it's just an emotional plea here. So I just want you to just take a listen to this. Uh, Tuvalu seeks the floor. I give the floor to Tuvalu. Thank you, Mr. President. Glasgow has delivered a strong message of hope, a strong message of promise. Glasgow has delivered a strong message of ambition. What is left now is for us to deliver on that promise. I sympathize with the honorable gentleman from the European Union who yesterday showed us the photo of his grandson. I too am a grandfather of three little children and I keep looking at their photos every single night after returning from these halls, thinking what would I tell them upon my return from Glasgow? I will now be able to tell them that Glasgow has made a promise to secure them their future. That will be the best ever Christmas gift I will present to them. We have now embarked on the Glasgow train the Glasgow train of ambition, the Glasgow train of 1.5 degrees. 
Climate change is real. There is no politics in climate change. So my fellow political leaders, our response to climate change should never depend on whether our domestic response to climate change would get us re-elected in the next elections. Responding to climate change is critical to our survival of our communities, the survival of humanity. It is not and should never be linked to our political survival in the next elections. So friends, we urge all countries to board this Glasgow train. We need to continue to work hard to keep this Glasgow train moving and moving fast so we can reach the next COP at Egypt and deliver on that Glasgow train of ambition and 1.5 degrees. So in closing, Mr. President, we thank Glasgow. We thank the Prime Minister Boris Johnson and your presidency, Alok Sharma, and your team for your able leadership. And we thank Glasgow for keeping us safe. Friends, Glasgow ends today, but the real work begins now. We must now deliver on the Glasgow train of ambition and 1.5. Thank you all. Once again, the Tuvalu Prime Minister, C. Panui, there speaking about um, how the climate crisis should not be politicized and how politicians should not be worrying about their next elections when they decide on climate policy, and also how a climate deal would be the best Christmas present that his grandchildren could possibly receive. Record-breaking wildfires, record-breaking flooding, also lots of deaths, deforestation, Record-breaking heat. Hurricane seasons just getting absolutely worse. Cyclones. Ices. Ice. Glaciers melting. At record speed right now. I mean, this really is a dire, dire situation. The planet is proverbially on fire. The question is, what exactly are we going to do about it? Because if we do not end our commitment as a majority, as a whole, as a world, as a society, to oil, gas, and coal, to the fossil fuel industry, it's going to get so hot in here to the point where we will not have the chance to take our coal off because the earth will have already melted. We've got more to come tonight. Stay with us. If you looked at America like a bird, and that was all you knew, would you really understand it with just that point of view? We've got a different way to look at it from right here on the ground. We don't just see United States, we see United Towns. From where we sit, just down the street, near the post office, by the park, when we stop and look around, what we see are sparks. 
sparks of hope, of compassion, of communities who stand firm, when neighbors lift each other up, expecting nothing in return. We're grateful for what you bring and all the sparks you've shown and the thousands of towns that we get to call home. Welcome back. So I have some good news and bad news for you on the coronavirus pandemic. Let's start off with the good news. So the good news is that um, the coronavirus vaccine, the Pfizer coronavirus vaccine has just recently been Um, It has recently just been approved by the Federal Drug Administration and by the FDA for ages 5 and up. It used to be 12 and up, um, but now it is for ages 5 and up under um, actually now nearly 1 million children um, within that age range have been vaccinated. Janet Woodcock, um, which is the doctor, which is the doctor um, at the FDA, said, quote, as a mother and physician, I know that parents, caregivers, school staff and children have been waiting for today's authorization. Vaccinating younger children against COVID-19 will bring us closer to returning to a sense of normalcy. Our comprehensive and rigorous evaluation of the data pertaining to the vaccine safety and effectiveness should help assure parents and guardians that this vaccine meets our high standards, end quote. It has been for months now that um, ages five and up, um, parents have been concerned about those particular age groups because um, they, the vaccines was not yet authorized for them. Once again, Pfizer um, getting full, getting emergency authorization here from the FDA uh, for those vaccines for ages five and up. Um, now getting some extra protection and immunity against COVID-19. So that was the good news there. Now here's the bad news. Ahead of the holidays, uh, Thanksgiving being next week, Christmas coming up pretty soon, we are also announcing a rise in coronavirus cases. This is reporting from NBC News. Just as many Americans count down the days to holiday gatherings, COVID cases are shooting up across much of the nation. The intersection of holiday travel and an ominous winter surge set to soon collide. Tonight, in nearly half the country, new infections are on the rise. In six states, the increase is over 40 percent in just the last two weeks. Minnesota with the largest spike. I'm worried that that people are going to die and and they never had a chance at getting a bed. Doctors in Minnesota are facing their most crushing increase in new infections since last winter. The patients, they're waiting too long to be seen. They're very sick. Um, and every day it's a fight to try to find where, where is this sick patient going to go? Fearing a return to COVID patients in hallways and at field hospitals, New York City joins California, Colorado, New Mexico, and Arkansas offering booster shots to all adults before the FDA and CDC has authorized them. Providers should not turn a patient away if they request a booster. As our nation now averages more than 1,000 deaths a day, authorities are trying to prevent new hospitalizations amid a jumbled booster rollout. Whenever you have this level of confusion, people tend to have a negative reaction and you might turn away people who really do need to receive a booster shot with a well-intended but confusing rollout. In Colorado, where beds are scarce, stage four cancer patient Bob Sampson says doctors have delayed his life-saving surgery because hospitals are overwhelmed. I'm in this to survive and extend life. I mean, I'm really healthy other than this tumor being inside me. 
and uh, let's get on with it. Tonight, the continuing cost of COVID for all Americans facing a resurging pandemic. And Miguel, we heard Dr. Patel mention confusion, and people are seeing all adults in states like California line up for boosters. When will they be authorized for more people nationwide? Well, Lester, the FDA is expected to take up the matter in just a few days. That will be followed by a CDC review. Experts tell us they expect boosters for all American adults will be available by the end of this month nationwide. Once again, that was reporting from NBC News. Recently, um, it was reported that a federal judge ruled, um, actually overruled Governor Greg Abbott's uh, ban on Texas schools, essentially saying that, hey, Texas schools, um, you can't really decide what to do on mask mandates. Uh, That federal judge has just recently overruled uh, the governor's ruling on this, his executive order. Um, So now this gives Texas districts um, the ability to reinstate their mask mandates. Um, This federal judge saying that it violates the American with Disabilities Act. Um, So we're going to have live reporting um, on the coronavirus pandemic in the days ahead as we continue to follow this story. Stay with us. we get more ahead. Introducing Tide Power Pods. With Cat and Nat. I love how much I can stuff into these machines. But that is such a large load. Don't the stains sneak through? Please. New Tide Power Pods can clean that whole situation. You just toss it in before the close. It's like two regular Tide Pods and then some power and then even more power. With 50% more cleaning power, even your large load got clean. How many kids do you have? Girl, I lost track. There's a lot of kids. Then there's a husband. Then there's me. That's a lot of clothes. A couple months ago, it was reported that former Democratic presidential candidate and former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke was planning to run for governor of Texas. Um, So two months ago, it was just rumors. It was just exclusive reporting specifically from Axios. And one thing that you must know about Axios, um, if you occasionally read them or if you read them a lot, is that they always bring up these big juicy scoops. They always have these big exclusives that always turn out to be accurate. And so two months later, we can now confirm that that Axios reporting was right because today um, Beto O'Rourke officially announced his candidacy for governor of Texas. I'm running for governor and I want to tell you why. This past February when the electricity grid failed and millions of our fellow Texans were without power, which meant that the lights wouldn't turn on, the heat wouldn't run, and pretty soon their pipes froze and the water stopped flowing. They were abandoned by those who were elected to serve and look out for them. It's a symptom of a much larger problem that we have in Texas right now. Those in positions of public trust have stopped listening to, serving, and paying attention to, and trusting the people of Texas. And so they're not focused on the things that we really want them to do like making sure that we have a functioning electricity grid or that we're creating the best jobs in America right here in Texas or that we have world-class schools or that we make progress on the things that most of us actually agree on, like expanding Medicaid or legalizing marijuana. Instead, they're focusing on the kind of extremist policies uh, around abortion or permitless carry or even in our schools that really only divide us and keep us apart and stop us from working together on the truly big things that we want to achieve for one another. It's a really small vision for such a big state, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I know that together we can get back to being big again because I saw that in February when the electricity grid failed and those in power failed all of us. It was the people of Texas who were willing to put their differences behind them and get to work doing the job at hand 
which meant helping our fellow Texans get through that crisis. We did this out of a sense of duty and responsibility to one another. Now imagine if the governor of Texas felt that same way. Well, there's something that you and I can do about that. I want you to be part of this campaign. And whether that begins today with a campaign contribution or signing up for a volunteer shift or just committing yourself to talking with your friends and family about how important this election is, I want you on the team. And I want to win this with you and for you and for all the people of Texas. I'm looking forward to seeing you out there on the campaign trail. Thank you. Once again, uh, that was Beto O'Rourke, who is now a Democratic candidate for governor um, of the state of Texas for 2022. Um, Beto O'Rourke ran a blockbuster campaign against Republican Senator Ted Cruz in 2018. Although he lost that race, he still does remain politically ambitious with this announcement today. We'll be right back. Whether you put down your phone to be there for your daughter... Or pick up your phone to call a helpline for your roommate. When it comes to mental health, now more than ever, every action counts. Today, Russia was criticized by the United States for an anti-satellite missile test. Uh, This is reporting from CNN, quote, The United States strongly condemned a Russian anti-satellite test on Monday that forced crew members on the International Space Station to scramble into their spacecraft for safety, calling it reckless and dangerous act, and saying that it won't tolerate behavior that puts international interests at risk. A U.S. Space Command said Russia tested a direct um, asset anti-satellite satellite or D-A-A-S-A-T missile striking a Russian satellite and creating a debris field in low earth orbit of more than 1,500 pieces of trackable orbitable debris uh, that is also likely to generate hundreds of thousands of pieces of smaller orbital debris. U.S. officials uh, emphasized that the long-term dangers and potential global economic fallout from the Russian test, which has created hazards for satellites that provide people around the world with phone and broadband service, weather forecasting, GPS systems, which underpin aspects of the financial system, including bank machines, as well as in fight entertainment and satellite radio stations. Quote, Russia has demonstrated a deliberate disregard for the security, safety, stability, and long-term sustainability of the space domain for all nations, said U.S. Space Command Commander General uh, James Dickinson. End quote. Um, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said in a statement that he was, quote, outraged by this irresponsible and destabilizing action. With its long and storied history in human spaceflight, it is unthinkable that Russia would endanger not only the American and international partner astronauts on the ISS, but also their own Como Sonats. Their actions are reckless and dangerous, threatening as well the Chinese space station. End quote. So once again, this breaking news that the United States um, having to condemn Russia for this anti-satellite missile test uh, that transpired earlier today. We'll be right back with one of our newest segments called We Need to Talk. (music) 
So I do acknowledge here on the Jeremiah Patterson show that there is a lot of news right now that's going on out there, um, including um, President Joe Biden earlier today signing into law uh, the major infrastructure bill that just passed the that just passed Congress with bipartisan report from Republicans and Democrats. This new major infrastructure bill, the president of the United States, as well as the first lady and the vice president and her husband, they will be promoting this now law. Uh, which will improve American infrastructure. Um, there's also the president meeting with the president of China today in a summit. Um, also, new reporting on the uh, climate crisis. We're going to have that in the coming days, as well as on the coronavirus pandemic. Also, neo-Nazis on trial in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. Um, just a devastating event that transpired back in 2017. Um, They're now being held accountable for that. A humanitarian crisis in, in Ethiopia, Sudan, as well as Haiti. Uh, we're also going to have reporting on the restoration of the rule of law. Also, Facebook disinformation and the whistleblowers. I mean, there's definitely a lot going on in the news right now. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, make sure to share it with your family and friends. Also, you could rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts if you'd like to. Um, Thank you again. Have a great day. Remember to stay positive and inspired, and I'll see you again soon.